You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewind, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA, razzle-dazzle! Now your host, Clifton Bush. And welcome to the NWSL Rewind, presented by Modern Soccer Coach Education. Back to you with week 13. We are here. Uh, Sierra is out on location, out on the highways and byways out there in the world today. Um, so we will, uh, but we are still bringing you the show every week, no matter where we are. Uh, how you doing, Sierra? Good. You know, just driving around. Good old times. <laughs> Sierra's currently in a vehicle right now, driving yep. around the country, uh, but bringing you the, the, the top soccer analysis for the NWSL. So, uh, she can do it any place, anywhere, anytime. Exactly. So, exactly. So this week, great interview. Um, we we won't spoil it quite yet. You'll you'll hear it in the uh, in the intro here. But uh, very good interview as we roll into week thirteen. Over halfway through the season, now we're coming into playoff push. Sierra, playoff push time. It's kind yeah. of starting to separate, maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and a few teams dropping off, probably yep. without a chance to make it. And yep. um, North Carolina, obviously, has yet to mathematically qualify. But at this point, I think you'd probably be as close as a team could be. So yeah. we're getting into the exciting part of the season, yeah? Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, and you're starting to see, I think, a little bit of the separation of our top tier teams into our bottom tier teams. So it's kind of interesting to kind of watch how everything lays out. Uh, you know, and then saying that, you know, we'll see the battle between the middle pack of the teams and see kind of where we go. I think that's going to be what we really need to watch, because I think, like you said, we've got, you know, North Carolina right now is at the top and, you know, your bottom teams. And so what's going to happen between those middle of the pack, you know, three, four five, six teams. And how is that going to all shake out? Yeah, I mean, it's it'll be if it turns into the land of the ties. It, it'll probably end up looking exactly like it looks right now. But if right. somebody can go on a surge or a run here, you know, right. you may be looking at, you know, just a complete shakeup that could, you know, potentially include a team like Houston or right. a debutante like Utah or something like that, where, right. you know, even a stalwart like Portland maybe doesn't even make the playoffs. So right. there's there's some implications happening. Uh, and this week was was probably no different in trying to, Teams got three points this week. Yeah. So I think we saw this week there were no ties, no single pointers. And so now maybe a bit of momentum for, for a few teams and right. maybe have to kind of dig themselves out for a few others. But Houston dash uh, lose one to three versus the Portland Thorns at home. Yep. Uh, Portland pretty much able to control this one. Yep. You know, wire to wire. Uh, wasn't too much in doubt. I mean, how much of that is down to maybe some of the, you know, we'll kind of recap how the trades handled out. I mean, this is the first time we see the result of the trades that we talked about last week. And so right. Sophia Huerta getting hurt and for Houston, as well as Taylor Camo playing right back. Uh, as So two, team, two players from Chicago kind of trying to integrate into – this new team. You also had the first game for Pokinghorn. Um, and so an international that's come on to Houston. So mm -hmm. a lot of new faces. So how much of that maybe is down to trying to build cohesion in a squad? 
Well, I mean, I think you saw, you know, what we saw is a difference between a team that's been together for a while and a team that hasn't. And I think that, you know, Portland, you had Sinclair, who had, I think, her 100th career, you know, NWSL game um, and scored and did well in that game. Um, and you've got Heath was back. I think she sprained her ankle last week or something like that. And so you're seeing a team that on Portland's side has a lot of cohesion, a lot of um, veterans are playing together and they've, you know, kind of had that time to gel. Um, and then you're seeing a team that I think is trying to put some pieces and fill some pieces that, um, you know, from the trade. And I don't know, you know, if we really saw everything uh, in the game. Uh, but I mean, you know, Huerta did score. Um, I think part of that you also have to think is a miss clear in the box and, you know, a little bit of ball bouncing around. So not to take anything away from Huerta, but I think it wasn't like it was some out-of-the-box world-class finish that, you know, you can tell the difference between, you know, adding her to the roster and everything. So I think, you know, it's going to take time for this Houston team to add, I think, those three into the, the mix. But I do think it's a positive addition and not a negative addition. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly it's going to be – it'll add quality to the side. Yeah. Um, I mean, they changed up kind of how they played a little bit, maybe a little yep. bit more of a flat four in the midfield, which uh, how much of getting Mathalo closer to Daly do you do you need? How much help does Polkinghorn in her first game need right. in that pocket in front of Van Wieken Brooks? I mean, I thought, you know, Houston's had kind of – a struggle in their fullbacks. And I don't know how much Taylor Camo really Helped. added to, yeah. yeah, like defeating that perception, I guess. Right. Um, so I think they still probably have to figure out what to do in the wide areas of the park because it seemed like Heath and Klingenberg were able to basically do whatever they wanted down that side. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly there's Huerta is going to help and she'll probably you know, get your four or five goals over the course of the re- remainder of the season. But does that, is that enough to push towards a playoff? Is that the point? Is the point to right. push into playoff or is it to kind of get a better base for right. next year? That's something that, that we've talked about. I, for me, I think the, the big thing is I, I would put this down more just to Portland being Portland. Yep. Um, now it sounds like Midge purse is coming back uh, yep. soon. And so we'll see if, uh, Mark Parsons goes back to the three-back system right. with Purse and Klingenberg out wide. I mean, tactically, this seemed to work, but versus yep. maybe a struggling Houston side, I don't know if that necessarily works. Is there enough enough lines? Is there enough movement? Can is you know Andresina and Beret? Is there enough in the midfield to actually you know get? the cohesion, the, the right, forward right. momentum you need. I mean, and this is Lindsay Horan was out with a yellow card accumulation. So yep. she'll be back in for beret. Right. Um, and she's clearly, I think even in the win, you see how much of a catalyst right. Lindsay Horan is for this team. I mean, they, right. they, they're dearly. It felt like just from, right. Right. Just, I mean, they were in control, but it didn't necessarily look the like same. Portland thorns soccer. That, right. that was, well, if, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And I think, you know, I think the focus more so, even though, you know, yes, we had the trades and we had, you know, additions to this Houston side. I think the focus goes more on Portland because I think you've seen them kind of up and down results wise. 
And I think that, you know, having Sinclair on our game, you have French back, you've got, um, I mean, you've, you're adding pieces back that have been missing. And then you, you think, oh my gosh, they just won three to one in a dominant game. And they were missing Haran. I mean, so you're starting to go, well, holy moly, what are they going to, you know, how are they going to continue to get the ball rolling? And they've got their starting goalkeeper back. I mean, now is she full strength and all that? I mean, that's obviously a different discussion, but it does help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would I would make the knowing Garga Caserta the way I do, I would, I would imagine that nobody really gets back into the Portland side until they're fresh, fresh, you know, until they're ready to kind of right. return full health, ready yep. to go. And so I, I think their Sonnet and French are probably, you know, as close to 100% as any yep. team would let somebody go before mm-hmm. popping them back out on the field. I mean, Sonnet played 90 minutes, obviously French played 90, but you've, they're probably as close to full health as possible. Yep. And yep. then when Haran gets back, I, just interested to see kind of, I think the three, five, two is yeah. probably a better setup for Portland in the long run. Uh, yeah. stylistically as well as uh, just helping them be more of an attacking, pressing team. Soren Gokovic pressed and went and played hard, uh, but against better center backs, against better midfield pressure, I don't know how much she gets away, how much space she creates for herself. And so I think they can get much more into the counter press if they have those three, five, two, as opposed to playing in this yeah. four, four, two, four, three, three, whatever you want to kind of call it. Right, I mean, Cause right. Sinclair is still kind of really drop deep and how yeah. far do Carpenter and Heath have to go to kind of get into the attacking line. So there's definitely a lot of considerations for Mark right. Parsons in building kind of his, best team stylistically we know who the best 11 is that's easy (laughs) but right of course stylistically to be consistent what is his best way to play right yeah i agree the seattle rain drop one at home uh this might be kind of a disappointing one for them for sure uh (laughs) giving up four goals to north carolina courage uh, they were up one nothing, uh, yep. and then before ten minutes later, Lynn Williams scores the equalizer, and five minutes later or so, Crystal Dunn takes them ahead, and it was all downhill from there. Yep, or uphill, however you want to <laughs> call it, depending <laughs> on which city you live in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like this is one of those kind of maybe disappointing losses for Seattle, who's been rolling on a pretty good, pretty good high of form. Yeah, I think I think too. This is an interesting game. So, North Carolina outshoots them twenty-five to sixteen, and then Seattle outpossesses them fifty-three percent to forty-six percent. And I think the thing is with this is we've kind of always, you know, in the show we always talk about possession and all that other stuff and who's outpossessing who and does that reflect anything into the results? And I think we've seen consistently or inconsistently with Seattle that they tend to outpossess people, but they're not always getting the results. And so that's something to kind of, I don't know if it means anything. I don't know if it has any type of reflection on their game, but I just think it's interesting that we've looked at it before and 
the same thing has happened prior where they've outpossessed somebody and they haven't gotten the result. Um, and with that, I mean, they were up one zero, but saying that eight minutes in, there's a handball and a PK and Lynn Williams yeah. misses. I mean, it's an excellent yeah. save and whatever, um, but she doesn't score it. So, I mean, that could have been a one Oh in the eighth minute. And so I think North Carolina, I think you're right. It's a disappointing loss for Seattle, but I think in North Carolina's mind, they lost to Utah last week, and this is a re- revenge. We have got to prove, <laughs> holy moly, we're coming out on fire. We are the number one. And I think that was kind of what they came out and showed. I mean, everyone, I felt like they really controlled the game. I don't think that they Seattle was unlucky. I think that they came out, North Carolina came out, and they just absolutely shelled Seattle. The... Here's here's kind of an interesting comparison for you. So, so this is a four-one North Carolina over Seattle. Right. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, North Carolina did the same thing to Portland. Yep. And they kind of had to have a bit of a personal meeting with themselves right, on right. on allowing a team to come to your house and score four on you. Yep. Uh, it, it was much the same sort of a thing. I mean, in that match, Portland had 56% of the possession right. and your North Carolina is winning these games in transition moments. They're not yep. waiting for offensive organization. Mm-hmm. And so at some point in time, from a coaching perspective, need to be able to look at how you set up to play against North Carolina in transition. Yes. I mean, and maybe there's too much focus in trying to figure out how to play against North Carolina in organization when, you know, in the buildup, when it's coming out of the back or when you're trying to, you know, we clearly know O'Sullivan, we clearly know Zerboni, we clearly know Mewis, the the quality that they bring to those holding midfielder kind of Mm -hmm. set play positions. Yep making out them and how to set up in the transition moment. So what are you doing when you have the ball to keep North Carolina from scoring on you right. when they win the ball? Right. <laughs> and right. Maybe that focus is, is needs a little bit of a shift of, of, of just mentality from the technical staff or whatever it might be right. to look at North Carolina differently than how you might look at another team. Um, I'm trying to think of, Say, for instance, uh, a Chicago early on, uh, right. a Utah would be a yeah, great example. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're going to defeat Utah, you need to be able to defeat them in their attacking organization. Absolutely. That's just, or break down their defensive organization, one or the other. So <laughs> right, that's right. a way to think about it. It's not the same for North Carolina. It, it's a lot in the transition, and that the, the possession numbers show that to you. Yeah. And I think, too, with, you know, Seattle, I think the one thing, we have to also remember is that they were missing two of their defenders and what kind of impact does that have on their game? I mean, they're missing Barnes and they're missing Fishlock. I mean, we know both have a significant impact on their game and defensively did that leave some gaps where they couldn't, you know, match up with uh, someone like a Dunn, someone like a Williams. I mean, all of a sudden does that change how they are playing defensively does that does that open up holes that are allowing people like Dunn and Williams and 
you know, even Hinkle getting forward, uh, Matthias getting forward. I mean, are those opening up gaps because they're missing those two in their back line? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting how much, though, and we talk a lot uh, on the show about, like, personnel and, like, who's because they're clear, at least in my view, it looks like there's a clear difference between when you have a starter on versus when you have yep. a substitute. And that, I mean, and that's that's bound to happen any football right. match in the world, right? But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, how much organization is there and like, hey, you you have to be able to have depth in a team like Seattle, right. you know, has has a fair bit of depth. I mean, there's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like they're lacking for other options. Right. So in my mind, it does feel like maybe, yeah. I mean, fish lock is a major loss. I mean, anytime. Yep. I mean, if you have if you have a fish lock on your team, you want her yep. to play. That's just. Exactly. I mean, like you right, know what I mean. Right. Like she's just that good. But it's, you know, part of this personnel conversation of like who's playing and well, we lost. Maybe we didn't have these people and these, you know, players. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard. I think that there's should be some kind of system working here that's right. like hey if it's McNabb you know if it's if McNabb and Oyster have to be the center back pairing um or Kleiner has to hop in here like you know week to week I'm sure there needs to be some level of accountability in right. the teams to perform close to the level of your starting counterpart right uh, and that doesn't that doesn't seem to happen I, I mean no. I don't know if maybe be something different or or what right but that doesn't seem to be the case to me. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think, I think that's the question mark. I think, you know, and, and the thing is, is that a lot of these teams, when we, you know, and everyone knows as a coach, like going forward, you're going to have injuries. You're going to have yellow cards. You're going to have this, you're going to have that. And so as we get closer and closer to playoffs, you know, how are you replacing if a, someone like a Fishlock is getting injured? Yes, of course you want her on the field. And yes, of course, you know, you want her starting, but if she's not, is there a drop off? And if there is, how are you going to fix that? Because things like that happen all the time. We know as coaches, of course, the most inconvenient times possible, our best player or our most solid defender, or our most solid attacking player or midfielder or whatever gets hurt or is out for some reason. And it's like, how do you fill that gap and who's going to step up? And I think for Seattle, we talked a little bit about it, I think last week with Rapino and saying that there's a lot of dependence on Rapino going in the attack and scoring goals and winning games for them. And if she's not on her game or she's not available to play, who's replacing that, that spot. And I think it's the same thing with Fishlock and all of that is like, and obviously this isn't just Seattle. I mean, this is, we've seen this with other teams with people with international duty, with injuries. I mean, early on, everybody had somebody hurt. Um, so how do you fill those gaps moving forward? And especially in big games against big teams like a North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, that's my argument, I guess, would be that is there a, and, and I, you know, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, this would be a, a question for the the soccer universe, I guess, is like how much of that is down to preparation for that week right. and being able to adjust the system in yeah. order to help that week get a better result to maybe right. cover up issues that you see exactly. as opposed to tends to happen in at least in my opinion from watching the games it's like well we'll just keep playing how we play and but we're gonna yeah. put somebody in who hasn't who doesn't have the same skill set right that 
you know, like right. that the player who's not available has. Like, and so, right. well, then you can't play that way anymore. It, it gets right. very difficult to continue to play that same style. Right. Now, I mean, everybody has their principles and you stick yeah. to your principles, but you've got to be able to be flexible inside of your principles in order to maintain a, a style or a system for that game. And right. that's the changes that don't seem to be getting made all the time. You know, right. like you said, whether it's a Rapino or a Fishlock or, you know, anyone else in the league, where are the adjustments? Because, I mean, taking four goals, you know, <laughs> taking right. four goals at home, I'm sure it can't be can't be great for the Portland faithful or the Seattle faithful to kind of see how far yeah. ahead maybe, you know, I mean, these are a lot of that gets into your mind. I mean, these might be playoff right. matchups. So right. how much of that is like, well, we're not really, you're not getting close enough to maybe give yourself enough confidence to think, well, Hey, if we have to go to North Carolina and play yeah, this team go? <laughs> uh, in September, yeah. Like, do we really have a shot at this? Right. Um, and you haven't tried anything new either, you know. Right. That, that's that's what I, I think the teams that have tried thing, new things against North Carolina have they done do well. well. Yep. Utah changes their whole system yep. and they beat North Carolina. Chicago, Chicago well. goes man for man across yep. the entire field, does well against North Carolina. Yep. Um, now, obviously, there's you know, I'll always give the caveat that you know, Alyssa Nair probably had the best goalkeeper oh, performance yeah. in a women's professional <laughs> soccer league that, that game but you're it was uh but you still i mean like you give yourself a chance absolutely to use those star players i mean right. williams is not a you know he's not a slough of a goalkeeper either so right. you have somebody who if you give her a chance to make saves she's going to make saves exactly so where just i mean it's i guess it's just something to to chew over Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts on, on, on that game for me. Um, yeah, I agree. Moving to Washington Spirit. Uh, man, home teams struggled this week, didn't they? They now did. That, that they I, did. I'm kind of looking at none of the home teams. Oh, Chicago. Chicago, Chicago wins Chicago did. Chicago um, did. That's the only one. Chicago does win at home. But only game to win at home. Washington loses one nothing. Uh, an Alana Kennedy goal in the 11th minute uh, for the Orlando Pride. Um, and so, <laughs> I mean, and then it basically kind of was, I, I actually thought late Washington was going yep. to find yep. an equalizer in this game. Um, yep. I mean, Orlando had their opportunities as well. And I'm not going to say that, you know, it wasn't on the table for them to take this to two or three, especially, I mean, once, uh, Marto entered the game, you're always kind of like, well, <laughs> what's going to happen <laughs> See now? See how this uh, goes. <laughs> So, I mean, she's got to be the best sub to ever enter a women's yeah, match. Right? <laughs> so she's you're just null though coming in right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're in. just looking at this game, going, okay, Washington probably has uh, enough to bite back here and yeah, and find an equalizer and maybe you know could get a little bit of a push, but it just wasn't to be on the day. No thoughts on I this know. match. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, Kennedy's goal is, if anybody didn't see it, I mean, it's at the halfway line. She intercepts a ball and just hits a rocket and catches Bledsoe off her line. And it just, I mean, literally everyone, if you didn't see it, it was at the halfway line. Like, maybe it was in the circle. Um, Think uh, Carly Lloyd circa 
World Cup final. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that like it evokes that. It evokes that exactly. kind of a memory, right? And yeah. I mean, I can't be the first person to say that. I would imagine. No. But that's yeah. that's kind of the first. That was kind of the first thing. Was like, huh? She right. really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, right, that was. Right. Uh, Welcome well, to the World Cup final. And that's the thing. Like, I think, I think you're right. I think both. I think both teams. It was very back and forth. I mean, I think. Bledsoe gets caught off the line, you know, I think Kennedy scores an incredible goal from that far out um, and was just smart about hitting it. Um, but other than that, I think it was very back and forth. I mean, Ashlyn Harris for Orlando made some incredible saves um, and kept Orlando ahead. And I think Washington looked solid. I think the, the possession was pretty even. I think Spirit was a little bit ahead. Um, but I mean, it was pretty neck and neck and I think it was just a back and forth game. It was a, it was a good game for me just to watch. Um, you know, one thing I think to keep in mind as we start to go into playoffs and something I've always said is you have to watch when you peak and we've always, you know, I've always been nervous about North Carolina. Did they peak too early? You know, are they peaking too early? Um, and one thing with Orlando is they haven't, they haven't lost in the last six games. So is this a team that you know, is going to do well in the playoffs? Like, what is going to happen from this team? I mean, we all know that they're a good team. They're a good quality team. They've got significant firepower up top. And not only that, but they've got, I think this game showed, they have a solid back line. And obviously with their goalkeeper, Ashlyn Harris, I think they looked they looked organized. They, they were tough to get in behind. They were tough to get by. Um, so it's curious for me is like, how are they going to continue this momentum going forward yeah i mean it's the time to everybody everybody goes on runs it seems like you know like yep. the, the the teams kind of go on a run and this is seattle had their run um orlando is obviously in the midst of theirs yeah yep. houston obviously had a pretty massive run yeah I and mean, the unfortunate part for them is that they didn't kind of start from the middle they were right. starting from kind of the bottom of the table um, right. When they hit their stride, so the question is like, well, who's between Portland, Chicago, Utah? Who's going to hit the run? Because probably one exactly. of those, whoever hits the run at the end of this thing, is probably yep. the one that makes the playoffs. Right. And so <laughs> you're Orlando's in the midst of one, and they're you know they're in great position. So I you know I'm not too concerned about their playoff potential, right. but their form going into the remainder. Yep what 11 games for them is is going to be paramount i mean they 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 obviously have they have a very good rotation uh you know it, like morgan and larue playing marta's yep. coming off the bench kennedy has done great in the midfield yep. but that you know they also have camilla and you know they still have edmonds opakagu can start presley can play hill you know has come on and scored goals like christine aaron yeah, I mean, Nairn is has certainly been solid. kind of in and out. Yeah. So those are, you know, and that's just besides probably, I think Tom Sermani has probably had the most consistent back four. Yes. I would say of, yes. of any team. I mean, Pickett, Zdorsky, Monica, and Pollyanna have been like just the back four pretty yep. much for their their season. And so it's very, very consistent there with Harris uh, obviously backing them up. I, I think – Depth wise, apart from North Carolina, you know, they, they probably have the best depth over yep. the entire field. Right. So, I mean, now it's 
kind of can you just stay in form and right. pick up you know three points when you're supposed to and i mean you know make the north carolina games competitive you know right. make sure that you're you're i mean they've shown that they've dominated chicago <laughs> Right. Um, you know, I mean, like they've shown that they've dominant, you know, they've been able to dominate Utah. They've been able to like, like so they've right. taken care of business versus teams that uh, are kind of in that realm with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no concerns with uh, with Orlando at all and <laughs> and how they're building their makeup, which is I, I just find, like that's the contrast for me versus like a Portland. Right. Like it's it's a similar kind of a team talent wise. Yep. But it just it just feels like maybe Portland doesn't have the consistency of their rotations that Orlando yeah. has. Like Orlando just seems like it's a little bit easier to just expect more results from them. Right. Well, and I think too, the one thing I would take away from, you know, like I said, not to take anything away from Orlando. I think that like we've talked about, they're consistent, they've done well, they've done a good job. I think the big thing too in this game is I think to the spirit even though they aren't getting the results they want, which sucks for them, but at the same breath, I think they're finding a little bit more consistency overall in the field. I think their attack is a little bit more consistent. You've got Hatch that's really kind of finding her stride, and I, I think they're, you can see a little bit more of a con- cohesion with that group, and it'll be crazy because, I mean, you've got to remember, Pew's not even in the lineup right now. And so to add that back yeah. in when she gets back, I mean, they may not, they're not going to be, I don't think in my mind, unless something crazy happens, they're not a playoff contention team right now. However, no, no. what could happen next year if they can continue to build, build, build and find a little more consistency cohesion and then add Pew back into that, that lineup? I mean, Oh, I mean, this is clearly, uh, if any team has, if you're talking about upside and potential, Yep. Uh, like, I mean, a- any coach in the country would like step into Paul Riley's shoes today, right? Like, you'd be like, right, yeah, right, sure, I'll course. take like, of course, you know, like the highest, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> if you were a basketball coach, you'd be like, sure, I'll coach the Warriors, no problem. Yeah. I have the most Easy. firepower of any team in ever, right? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, right. It's the same thing with North Carolina, and I, but if you're like, what team is set up for yep. potential? Washington Spirit are like the dark horse team for me. Like, Absolutely, it's it's a. I mean, it's not surprising that they've struggled a bit in the results category because they're so young and it's yep. so fresh and so new. But if fortunes had turned maybe just a little bit for them, I could have absolutely seen them being in second place this year as well. Yep. <laughs> like it's just yep. that they desperately need Mal Pugh back. I mean, yep. like that's clearly like this 1-0 game versus Orlando is a clear kind of indication of like you just need somebody to take the pressure away even if she doesn't score yeah she's such a dangerous player that it means Monica Zadorsky maybe Kennedy has to drop off just a little bit more right um maybe Nairn can't just kind of you know run around the midfield and open up and set play and you know make 15 yard passes and switch the point like Maybe those things don't happen if you have somebody as dangerous as Pew in there, but right, it's going to be unfortunately a, a next year project, yeah. and you know who knows what happens with new teams and drafts, and right. it's one of those things that might actually get a little bit, a little bit iffy for them because right. you might not get the value out of your picks next year because right. of new teams entering who are going to have to then get you know 
kind of the they're going to have to build teams that are yep. competitive. So, you know, right. hopefully. But this was this definitely if they can keep this group together, this is definitely a team. And I mean, like I said, it was it was it was close enough to make yep. sense to me. But it's unfortunately they're just kind of slightly behind it. Yep. Um, I did see on Twitter, though, it was an in, kind of an interesting stat situation was like based on the goals in hand. Washington Spirit's actually closer to being uh, removed from playoff contention than Sky Blue is. Like, so, yeah, wow. like, so I guess, like, yeah, and you look at it, like, in the math says, so Washington Spirit's 14 games with 10 points, Sky Blue's yep. 11 games with two points. So, if you did the math, technically yeah. Washington Spirit is closer to being outed from, <laughs> from right. the uh, playoffs than Sky Blue. I don't know when Sky Blue like I have to go through the schedule. Like when is Sky Blue gonna actually play games? Like it I know, right? Seem I feel like, like they never play games. Like, I feel like they play one and then they, they'll take three they weeks always off have the week off. Yeah. Yeah. Like this has been the craziest schedule. Like, are they actually <laughs> supposed to play the same number of games as everybody else? Or is that like something that they, they got done in the contracts or something? I, I don't know what's don't going know, right? on. But they've they just don't seem to be playing as many games as anybody else. So, I don't know what's um, going on. But that's just a random aside from Twitter. Uh, <laughs> thanks to all the people Good old who Twitter. At, yeah, who look at these things on Twitter. Twitter <laughs> always wins. Uh, always. Last game. Last game, Chicago Red Stars with a 2-0 victory over Utah. And we picked this one for last because I think, you know, a lot of what we want to talk about is less about the result and the score and more about uh, kind of these are two of the three teams that were dramatically affected by the – what people will say pretty massive trade uh, yeah. that happened last week that we discussed. And so where Kristen press and Sam Johnson did not play in this game, mm-hmm. uh, they were not available for this match. Um, and neither did Brooke Elby, even though nope. she was listed in the, on the roster. Yeah. Um, I imagine that's probably more because of she was, it was a home match. Right. And it wasn't, you know, and she was there. Kristen right. Press and Sam Johnson were still in Utah. Like, right. uh, speaking of Twitter, like because you could see them at the uh, Real Salt Lake game right. uh, that happened over the weekend, and so I think that trade obviously colored this this match. Yeah, but maybe not so much just because there's no we still don't Kristen right. Press. Right. Um, I would imagine Sam Johnson. Utah Royals has a pretty consistent backline as well. I would imagine mm-hmm. Sam Johnson is probably coming off the bench, but yep. that would just be my guess. Um, but a Kristen Press, Amy Rodriguez front Oof. line, uh, who knows what that's going to look like, but Chicago yep. was able to take advantage of kind of the timing of the trade in this yeah. game right, <laughs> and the right. players and eligibility uh, to basically take over the head-to-head with yeah. Utah after their 1-0 win in Utah, right. uh, you know, whatever, six, eight weeks ago. So it's pretty big game pretty massive for tiebreaker implications going down the line right. but from this matchup of the two teams did you see anything different from chicago without a sofia huerta um sam johnson right taylor camo to some degree or was well, this I'm... kind of what you expected I think, you know, I think this is what I expected. I think that you've got to keep in mind, I mean, uh, DiBernardo was back, um, which is huge impact-wise. And then I think, you know, you have Short back, and then they put uh, Ertz back at center back. 
And so I think you're kind of seeing a more consistent, you know, strong back line. I mean, to have Short and Ertz together is – that's going to be awesome to watch because I think that they just – those two work well together. Um, and they're going to be so solid. And then Dee Bernardo, I think – I mean, you see it because she scores. Um, and I, you see that work with – I mean, she literally went in, I think, in like the 64th minute or something like that. And then literally four minutes or five minutes or whatever later, scores a goal. And I think you see the impact that she has and then the cohesion she has with Kerr. You see that. They just work so well together. I mean, it was you – if you would have turned the TV on and just seen – those two together in that moment in time, you would have think you would have thought that they had they had not skipped a beat. I mean, they had just been playing together this entire time. She was not out, nothing. And I think that you're seeing, I mean, what potential Chicago has with these players in the spots that they are in now. And so it'll be interesting to take. I mean, this is a huge win for Chicago. And so where do they go? Like we were talking about earlier, where do they go momentum wise? from here do they continue to win do they you know do they start to really find that consistency in their lineup um and i think that that's something we're gonna have to start to watch for because i think if this lineup holds and d bernardo starts to play you know 90 minutes and starts to get more time and all of that i think you're seeing a different chicago team than you've seen prior yeah, it's some things are different and some things are just so the same. Like, I mean, right, the funny right. thing is, like, this is the team that's been there this yep. entire. It's not like Chicago traded into players; they didn't exactly. trade into anything. <laughs> they had healthy. this team, like, <laughs> so if anybody's like, this has been their squad the entire time. Right. It's just without, like, there's never been a point where I don't think Rory Dames has fielded what I would consider the top 11 yet. Yeah. I mean, like even in this right. game, it was close. And then Rosie white goes out with an injury before the game. Like, right. So Rosie right. white's supposed to start for Michelle Vesconsuelos and goes out in warm up, and something happens. Right. We, we don't know at this point and isn't able to play. Um, isn't able to play. And so you're, you're just at this strange or excuse me, Morgan Bryan, uh, Morgan, Morgan Bryan, Bryan yeah. was supposed to play. Uh, and so you're just at this weird point of like Morgan Bryan isn't playing. Rosie White is, you know, she's coming off an injury from last week. Right. So so it's this has been the team, and that exactly. team had Sophia Huerta as well, by the way. Right. Like so right. you're like right. and they've never been able to field a full squad of eleven. I mean, because for me, I, I'm totally with you that that short Ertz um set up with Gilliland on you know it's like that's going to be a massive massive I think three of those four for me are just like top top yep defensive players yep um, you know whether that's and Katie Naughton scored a, a great goal her oh, first yeah. ever which is which is wonderful I think mm -hmm. defensively I probably am a little bit preferential to have had Sam Johnson yes there but you also have Sarah Gordon as well Yep. Uh, who's an option. So I think they have pieces. They still have Sarah Gordon who can kind of, if something goes wrong with Katie Naughton, they can right. still, they have Put a backup there. option. So right. the back line is obviously solid. Now that midfield can go to being Nagasato, yep. Morgan Bryan, uh, DiBernardo. Like, yep. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> so, I mean, like that's, 
and then up top, you're looking at Rosie White, Sam Kerr, Elizabeth Montz. Like, that's a, like, those, every line has something for you, and they still haven't yes. put it together. Right. So the question now for me is, like, so I'd say six weeks ago, I would have said, no problem for Chicago. They've got the pieces. They've got the personnel. And we've talked about the difference between the personnel and style, but they have the players. So put them on the field, let them play. Chicago's going to win a bunch of games. Right. We're getting to the point now where I don't know if there's enough games they, yep. for them to actually make it work, given the fact that they have not been able to get these players on the field. Right. So right. if Rosie White can't play for another two weeks or whatever it might be, because you just don't know what the extent of these injuries are, right? So right, Morgan right. Bryan is hurt herself in the be- in the beginning, and she's obviously been kind of a injury prone type player, right? Uh, you know, like right. Then if she's two weeks out, like you just don't know what does that look like. Are these players going to be available for the game versus Washington or you know North Carolina? Like these are they have a chance, I think, to pick up a number of points. I mean, they've got what it's Washington. This week, North Carolina, midweek, and then okay. sky blue. Yep. So the powers that be would say you have to at least win two out of those two three, right? Absolutely. That would be you gotta get six out of nine probably in, right. in order to make a case for the playoffs. If you're dropping down to three out of nine, it's like you're just leaving kind of points on the on the table. So Yeah. It's I, I just don't know how much if they have enough time to yeah. actually field the roster that's going to be good enough to beat all these teams that we're talking about. Yeah, well, and I think the thing with them is, is you know, we talk about you know Seattle with they're missing one or two players, right? They have Fishlock out on injury and Barnes out on injury. You have to fill two spots. You're talking about a Chicago team that you know prior to all these players coming back, I mean, they were missing at some points like five players yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like starting 90 minute impact players and so i think you're 100 percent right it's like if you get all these players back this next week you're good i think no problem <laughs> you win your games you're good but if you if it is taking two three weeks four weeks five weeks i mean you're running out of time i mean this isn't the beginning of season anymore you're starting to get to crunch time and you've got to pick yeah. up points every game matters and so if you're starting to drop points, it you know it doesn't matter if you're missing one, two, three, or four players. You've got to start picking your points up. So I think it's a very – I think the only difference between them and Washington spirit is that they could potentially get those points sooner and actually have a shot at playoffs. I think both them and Washington spirit have the potential to be such – like just incredible teams. I mean, you know, do they – go the battle for that number one spot I don't know just because North Carolina has been so good consistently but could Washington Spirit and Chicago ideally be battling for the two and three spot absolutely with the talent hands down no problem the question will be is can they get everyone on the field at the same time consistently (laughs) and that's where we are we're missing well I think if you're looking at people making a push like Utah is going to add press so I think I think what probably happens is pretty simple is Gory goes to the bench and Press goes into that spot and yep. maybe Press plays a little bit higher. Um, maybe it looks more uh, like a 4-4-2, 4-4. Like, I, I don't necessarily see Press being like 
a false nine playing right. underneath sort of a thing. Right. But either way, no matter what happens, it's probably Gory out, press in, and you immediately add quality. You immediately add goals. Right. You immediately add an attacking presence. presence. Yeah. And so now that team is ready to go. Now they're yep. they're ready to make a push. Yep. Chicago without you know without Morgan Bryan to kind of solidify a midfield without a you know consistent Rosie White to give them the pace on both sides of the park without yep. Di Bernardo in the match for ninety minutes they're not ready to nope. make that push like nope. they're just they haven't gotten in the starting blocks yet nope. and I think the gun is about to go off and so. Right. on that trade i think we're starting maybe to see a little bit of you know they now they have depth with sam johnson in their back like we yep. said so if bowen or moros go down or sauerbron or corsi go down yep. you have the ability to just immediately bang proper professional into those spots and right. your that level doesn't drop off like we talked right. about earlier right so I, I think utah might be in a little bit better of a position to make yes. a run even though in this game they were pretty well handled. I mean, the second half of this game, it was all Chicago. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know that, that Utah really came out of the locker room. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like they were they are better positioned to make the push yes. towards the playoffs. Um, well, yeah, you've got, I mean, I think Utah and Chicago, the first half, if you watch it, it's scoreless. I think it's pretty back and forth. Um, and then I think you start to see just Chicago just pulls away. And I think that's that, you know, that depth of having, you know, Utah didn't have press. They didn't have, and I think you're right. If you add press into that, does Chicago maybe have the same attacking presence because now they're having to worry about press. So are they going up as high? Are they, you know, are they going as quick forward? I mean, all of a sudden you start to worry about different things and maybe you sit back a little bit more. You got to keep an eye on press a little bit more. And so, um, I think you're right. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see if they can get if Chicago can get everybody healthy and good to go. They're a whole different team. But if they that's can't a, get everybody, in the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't get everybody, and I think the thing is the key is is not if you can get them for 20 minutes. If you can get them for 90 minutes every game, you're fine. But 20 minutes here and there, you're not getting the consistency that this team needs. And I think that is the biggest thing is that Utah is going to have if when you know when press is returning and even Sam Johnson on the bench, they're going to have a consistent ninety minutes from press. As in turn, you know, yeah. Chicago's not getting that. They're getting twenty minutes here, twenty minutes there, ten minutes here, ten minutes there, and that's not consistent. It's hard to. I mean, anybody who's played or who coaches knows, as a player, it's hard to get everything going in ten minutes. Or 20 minutes like it's hard to get yeah. your game hit the stride how do you gain confidence on on that few you know on that right few number of, of touches that few number of minutes exactly. it's hard to gain confidence and that's a it it is a and i'll make one final mention just because uh well this will probably be the last bit of talk for chicago for a little bit just <laughs> unless they make some other kind of crazy <laughs> that happens um but, uh, which possible. i mean you know is, is like i said is anything is possible at this point um <laughs> but they have rory dames has changed has clearly big difference between early season and now yeah. in how they're playing it yep. seems like this is chicago circa 2017 
um, yep. when they made playoff runs, you know, 2016, a much more direct style, a much more kind of in-your-face pressure as opposed to, and then transitioning instead of, as opposed to building up, you know, through yep. every third of the field. Yep. And what I will say in the plus column for them is that I think that feeds much better into Kerr's style. Yes. Um, I think you're seeing that she's creating more opportunities as well as getting more for herself. Absolutely. Um, whether those have gotten scored or not is maybe a little bit different because Nagasato basically almost put the oh my gosh. crossbar into the stands with yeah. the rocket going right off there. Uh, but you're I think that style looks like it's going to play. Like we talked about coaches making adjustments and yeah. I think Roy Dames has made an adjustment to kind of get his his golden goose yep. star player um, the ball the way that she wants it. Um, yep. And that might be that might just be the difference between, uh, right. especially if you don't have a solidified midfield. If you do have Kerr on the field, you know you've got a chance uh, yep. as long as you can get her the ball. You might not be able to build it up to her, but you can definitely get it there. Just get <laughs> the ball. Take care of the rest. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. I mean, it's yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we're coming down to the stretch, and it'll be you know, it'll be a fun little ride here. Uh, but I'm, I am, I'm. That's what I'm most interested in is kind of those those adjustments that coaches are yep. making, and I think you're starting to see a few of them being made. Uh, yeah, it's gonna have Laura Harvey's gonna have to change a bit too. Yep. Uh, when press comes in, like she's the chances that her style is going to, you know, her desired style is going to stay the same are probably pretty small. Press is such right. a personality. So we'll, uh, we'll get to see sky blue play. That'll be good. Uh, sky Once blue every plays week. Hopefully at some point in time. Uh, they get two games. <laughs> they, get, they play on Wednesday and on Saturday. They're, they're so there will be two it. matches. <laughs> yes. There will be two matches to talk about for sky blue. Cause I feel like we don't ever talk about Jersey at all. Um, so, but we will get them on twice uh, for next week. Uh, three midweek matches on Wednesday, three yeah. matches on Saturday, and a match on Sunday, uh, which is now that I'm looking at the schedule, an interesting one because they play Chicago plays Sunday and then turns around and plays Wednesday. Good old times. I wonder so why Chicago back. wasn't in the Saturday lineup. But. <laughs> That's, we don't uh, make the schedule, unfortunately. Yeah, those questions for another time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, large slate of games. Uh, probably if I'm looking at Portland, Seattle, Cascadia Cup rivalry. Yep. In Seattle coming up uh, next weekend. Always big time when that happens. Fun Laura game. Harvey uh, will have Seattle at her place, which will be uh, fun too. So that's always yeah, that's always a fun time. I think if I, I might be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, but I think that's the first time that I will think be it the is. first time Utah plays Seattle. I think it is. Um, so that should be a, a fun one. Stay tuned for, for that one, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a few highlight games and uh, some important points to be had for some teams to try to make a final push. So Absolutely. We will, uh, we'll get to you next week. Enjoy all. <laughs> all right. And welcome to the NWSL Rewind presented by Modern Soccer Coach. 
We are here with Erwin Van Binnekom, the associate head coach of Duke University, former assistant coach for Sky Blue FC. We are so happy to have such a, uh, a soccer brain with us here today. Hopefully he gives us some, some good insights into how to develop week to week, how to develop over a season uh, at the pros and definitely uh, at a very successful Division One women's soccer program. Erwin, thank you so much for being on. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. No, no problem. We appreciate you, you coming. So give us just a little bit of background for those who, who may not know you or may not know kind of what you've done, where you've been. Give us a little bit of Erwin, uh, where he's from and, and how he got to where he is. Okay, yeah. Um, so I've been in the U.S. Um, like 13 years. Um, and like most, or I'm from Holland originally, came to the U.S. Uh, like right after finished college and um, and I, like, like most foreigners, we started working for these coaching companies. Uh, as I died, I started in New Jersey for a, for a Dutch company, and it was 20 of us hey. Dutch guys working for, a, uh, working, for a, uh, working for a Dutch company and, and did that for five, six years. And, uh, you know, just making hours after hours at all different levels of the game. And um, went back home for a bit, came back to the U.S., and... and uh, and started doing some some college stuff, and and that's when uh, I actually the, the the owner one of the owners at uh, at Sky Blue uh, I used to train his his, his daughters uh, individually, and then um, the GM at Sky Blue I knew uh, I knew for a long time as well. So that's how it kind of rolled into uh, when the NWSL started back in I think it was 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah 2013 kind of rolled into a, an assistant coach position. To be honest, I. I, you know, the, I was coaching some decent, you know, U teams, but I'd never worked with female pros, never even worked at a college level. I was, I just started working at NJIT in New Jersey as well. So it was kind of, uh, um, you know, I would love to help out, whatever, you know, I was, I was ready to start bringing some, you know, water bottles to the training sessions and, and, uh, from bringing water bottles to the sessions, it went from, you know, running training sessions, uh, on a weekly basis. So, um, so I did, you know, it was with Sky Blue for, um, I think, about a year and a half. And then I went into, you know, pretty much full-time into the college game when I to, went to uh, University of Alabama, uh, came back to Sky Blue for about a half year, and then I've uh, been at Duke now for three and a half years. And so that was when you were at Sky Blue, that was Jim Guevara was the coach yes, then, yeah, back yeah, then, yeah, now at yes. Washington Spirit. So. Exactly, exactly. It was, uh, the, fir- the first time I was there, it was pretty much – uh, Jim and myself, um, you know, we had Joe Lloyden uh, was playing there. We were also a goalkeeping trainer. Um, I have to think about who was there. And then the second time I came back, it was, uh, it was a Japanese guy was there, Taka, uh, who was also an assistant coach. Um, and him and I actually lived together uh, when I went back for a little bit. So um, he, he, was, he was fun to work with. And he was, a, you know, obviously a whole different soccer culture and a, yeah. a different way of thinking. And so that was awesome to to pick his brain and, and live with him uh, for, for, for five months. Yeah. And that, I mean, we have definitely, has been one kind of theme that was gone through kind of at least this show is different interviewers, different experiences, whether that's playing in this country and playing in other countries or coaching backgrounds, that sort of thing. So just, 
give us kind of an indication of like your experience being Dutch and kind of yeah. coming up in a Dutch system with all of the total football that we kind of hear about, but there's, yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there's a, a layered depth to it. Um, yeah. As well as, you know, your experience with Taka. He is, I mean, he's obviously kind of a, a renowned kind of a guy in the soccer sphere as far as yeah. like how much of a tactical brain he is. So yeah. give us kind of your, your international take on how that impacts you coaching here in the States. Um, yeah. So, you know, growing up and, and even going through the, through the uh, Dutch coaching schools, um, you know, we were getting judged on how our teams played, not necessarily result-based. It was pretty much everything was how the teams played and, you know, how well uh, we were developing players inside the system mm-hmm. and more so than anything else. And then when I first came to the U.S., it's completely the opposite. You know, it's like you everything is about the results and, and the coaches were purely getting judged on results. You know, I was coaching I was coaching U9s and if we lost in, you know, in a... In a in a tournament game and, and meaningless tournament game, parents were upset. And so it's a completely different story. You know, in Holland, it was, it was all about the team environment and how players were getting developed inside that system. And then come to the U S where everything was about, you know, even at a U nine level, uh, you know, a, a second tier U nine team would, it was all about winning, you know, their parents would rather have their kid not touch the ball the whole game and win the game. than you know, actually develop and, and, uh, and maybe not win the game. So that was completely different. It was hard for me. And um, I've conflicted with a lot of parents and a lot of clubs and a lot of people that I was around, just the difference of philosophies. But I had to adapt some way because I don't think my uh, uh, my uh, career would have gone or would go up if I just did did it the Dutch way. Yeah. Like, of you know, oh, we're, we're developing players till we're 18 and then we started thinking about winning. It probably would have been a little bit too late. So, um so that, that's definitely a little different. You know, I think the most interesting thing is that, you know, from I think about I talk to coaches about this all the time. It's like when I got we got thought that, OK, we have the ball. We make the field as big as possible and we lose it. We make it small, you know, at every age, every level, women, men, you know. But now nowadays, that's it's completely the opposite. And even in the Dutch schools, I, you know, I talk to some of my old teachers and stuff and. Uh, that's changing. You know, people are getting way more realistic of how long possessions are and there's more transition than actual possession. And people are like, you know, we might, it's not smart to make the field that big because if you lose it, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And you <laughs> so can see, you can definitely see a lot of that going now in the world cup and teams are exactly planning transition moments as opposed to planning organization moments. For sure. For sure. Which is, <laughs> which is great to see. And, you know, I think the interesting piece is can you do, still do what we used to do in possession, you know, to create as many goal scoring opportunities as we used to with making the field so big um, and while keeping a, a, you know, a good defensive balance at all time, even in possession. So I think that's interesting to see. And I think sometimes in the NWSL, when you see some of the, you know, we're going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about that. When you see some of the goals, I think, um, I think, I don't know if, I don't know if the league has, you know, you see some of the teams, I think the teams that do well are set up for that, but um, you see teams are so open and exposed and there's so much transition going on. And, you know, especially with teams playing two or three games a week, you're like, you know, I don't know if this is the smartest thing to do of, of opening up yourself so much and mm-hmm. giving away chance after chance, um, you know, because it just, I don't think it's sustainable over a course of a season to, to be that expensive and, um, you know, 
if you if you're the best team and you you have the ball 90 percent of the time and you create chance after chance and you you score three four goals every game maybe but uh, that doesn't really happen yeah i mean and i mean we let's get into it you know <laughs> I mean, yeah. no problem. you know let's get into some of that is we've definitely we've had uh coach matt beard on who was at boston we've had scott parkinson with utah we've had craig yeah. Harrington with chicago like so we've had a, a vast number of kind of current coaches in the league right now and i think one thing that they all kind of talked about was one the schedule how the yeah. schedule has definitely impacts mostly sometimes negatively but how it impacts their season and their planning um but i think stylistically one thing that has been talked about is certainly that how much transition has come or inserted itself into the league because of kind of the parity that comes in this league right um, and then the one thing that i think we notice sierra and i is like a lot of times lower possession teams win right and how much of that is in regard to organizing transition versus organizing organization and so right. those are i mean that was a, a three-part kind of win for you there if uh, <laughs> if i may but yeah i mean give us kind of your thoughts on how you thought it worked in sky blue and how you thought maybe how you look at it now as you watch games and what you might alter or what you think is going well or what teams you feel like are actually processing that level of information correctly yeah i you know this might sound harsh, but I, I'm surprised that everybody outside of maybe one or two teams is pretty much doing the same stuff. Mm. Disregard to the level of the team, everybody's kind of doing the same thing. There's no, there's like a medium block. It's uh, in possession. It's kind of the same thing. It's to me, it's all the same. It's like watching yeah. youth teams in America. It's all the same. You know, there's no, no team that's crazy small in their passing and, and, and bringing teams in and there's no team that sits crazy deep. Like I think teams need to realize their qualities, mm -hmm. you know, and their level of their team and be more pragmatic about the way they approach games. And, you know, I think everybody goes in from an idealistic perspective of this is how I want my team to play. But you know what, sometimes you're not good enough to play the best way. And, you know, uh, not to refer to the college game because it's completely different, but, with Alabama in 2000, or with uh, Duke in 2015, we went to the final. Yeah. And we basically, our line of confrontation was around midline for everything. We didn't even counter-press. Every time we lost the ball, we went to midline. And we didn't even counter-press just because of the lack, you know, the lack of energy over the course of two games. And yeah. we are just realistic. If we, we were going to beat 90% of the teams anyway, but we were like, if we want to win a national title, we have to play this way and do it all season to get good at it. And, you know, we didn't win a national title, but we got pretty far in it. Yeah. So I think... Uh, you would like to, even from a perspective of teams don't, you know, teams, are, it's hard for teams to adopt to something different. You know, so I, you know, even in the NWSL, you see teams like, you know, they defend 20, 30 yards of midline. It's still pretty long space to defend in. You know, if you defend that, that far over midline, why not just high press? Because then you get stretched anyway. And uh, the back line is, you're just, they're, they're 50 yards long. And I'm like, if you do something, be 40 yards long, whether deep or high, but do something very specific that is hard to play against. So that to me is a little bit of a, a criticism. I know it gets hard because of the, the amount of games and stuff, but um, I just feel that there's, it's more of a let's see what happens approach instead of this is how we're going to do it and we're going to do it really, really well. So, um, and that's more from a defensive perspective. And in possession, I, uh, I, I do think that teams are too open. Uh, I do think that a lot of the teams that I watch, and especially the bottom end teams, that they don't start 
thinking about defending until they have to defend. Um, you know, you know, I don't know how many. I don't have seen stats of how many goals come from set or from uh, from counter attacks, but you know, you do see that you got four or five players in the wide areas, yeah. and the team loses the ball, and the in the middle of the field is wide open. And I'm like, how is that even? You know, at that level, how is that even possible? So yeah, there's there's a lot of, I would say, especially that those switch moments, those moments to kind of take the ball, whether it's in transition or even in organization, you they're set up so strong without much balance creates opportunities for wide players on the opposite side or central players as you shift to actually play through gaps because that, that movement has to come at some point, exactly. right? So you're trying to get into a new position and there's, there's a lot of that happening. I mean, I just, I'll give you, I mean, you've seen the games, but I give you, you know, two, nothing Chicago to Utah, um, four, one Seattle, uh, losing to North Carolina, yeah. three, one Portland losing to Houston, three, two Orlando beating sky blue. I, I mean, that's just over the past week. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, is it something that you would like to see it improve to the point where there's more one, nothing, one, one, two, one type matches, or, do you think these scores are indicative of kind of just what you're talking about, more open play and a l less planning and preparation of how you're going to defend and how you're going to attack? You know, I, I, I would think everybody would think that more goals is more fun. Mm -hmm. It's more fun to watch, but I think for us as coaches, I'd like to see the organization, you know, a lot of these goals come from pure mistakes. It's not like one team has a is has a organized defense and the other team is breaking them down with quick interchanges and uh, quick possession or they're kind of pressing and, and winning the ball and then scoring from that it's it seems like you know blatant mistakes that are getting made for goals which obviously it's a mistake game so it happens all the time it's just uh you know I, I saw one of the games this week I don't even know what game but like you know percentage of wide crosses like you see outside backs still overlapping wide forwards all the mm -hmm. time which just unless there's a clear 2v1 and one of the two can go inside into the box, why is an outside back and a wide forward into the far corner on the field by the corner flag at any point in time? Like to me, there's like, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Like again, unless, you know, an outside back can play a forward in and the forward can go run to goal. You know, they should never be together in a 10 yard space in the far corner of the field because then you lose it. You lost two players. Like that kind of stuff, I, I just don't like. I think we have to catch on to the game, and you know, you see Japan on the men's side in the World Cup, but Japan on the women's side has done it so many, you know, so well. Is that they're always in a good position to win the ball back, and they're never getting really countered. So yeah. or never, but they. I think just to avoid getting countered, and being able to counter is going to be more important. And I know, I don't know. Obviously, see North Carolina doing it really well in some teams, but I don't know if it's really had caught on into the NWL. And if I would. Be back in the MSL with, as an assistant or as a head coach. I, that would be my first focus. Yeah. Like how how are we setting up to defend in possession and the other way? How are we oh. setting up to counterattack um, when we when we don't have the ball? And those are the yeah. That's what we've definitely been discussing that quite a bit. Is like how much thinking about defending happens while you have the ball, and how much thinking about attacking happens when you don't. And right. so people aren't. How much of that is you know, whether that's just discipline and coaches are implementing that and it maybe just is a lack of discipline on the player's part or how much of that is is coaches not necessarily 
you know, implementing strong structures and how much of that is like, just go ahead and let everything go. We have to win this game because the league is so truncated. It's so harsh week to week and anybody can, you know, I mean, maybe with the exception you say right now, the ends of the spectrum in North Carolina, you know, with 10 wins and sky blue with none, you're looking at outside of those two teams in a nine team, you know, league. It's anybody could beat anybody. So how much of that is like, well, we can't just always have structure because we have to figure out just any way to play to win matches. Right. It's just the problem is when you're, you know, two nil down in a, in the third game of the week or the second game of the week with 30 minutes to go, you're, the game is done, you know? So that's a, that's a problem. Like I like say, if you just stay in the game for a long period of time, you yeah. have a chance to win it. You know, you saw Houston with, uh, I guess it was Seattle, um, yeah. maybe a month ago, like mm-hmm. same, same concept. Um, so I, th- I think that that Utah just it. beat North Carolina kind of in the same, yeah, same know, fashion. Yeah. Laura Harvey's always she's been very defensive all year and figured yeah. out a way to get it in ninety plus four. So exactly, you know, and um, the the funny the, the funny thing is I've been to a bunch of the North Carolina Courage games because they're close by by us. And um, the first game of the season was I think or the second week of the season because Sky Blue had an off day, but I went to Sky Blue at North Carolina Courage and. You know these teams are obviously so far apart in points now, but for peri- for big periods of time, Sky Blue was the better team, especially in the first or in the first half. And you're like, how how has it gone from <laughs> where in that first half to where it is now? You know, obviously the confidence and how the team is growing and stuff, yeah. and you know uh, the the I think the depth of the Courage's roster is obviously insane. So, um, but yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, that's, Points difference is widespread, but I think the, the play, closer how, as we think. Yeah. yeah. And that's I mean, I think that there's a pretty decent consensus to like maybe it hasn't gone well not maybe. It certainly hasn't gone the way Denise Reddy would have had it go, certainly at, at Sky Blue. But they definitely haven't looked that bad. They haven't looked as bad as their record would suggest. Yeah. Um, you know, no, tying sure. Chicago. So they've got their two ties are Chicago and Washington Spirit, which by all accounts are two middle table teams. I mean, Washington's only kind of fallen off recently. Right. They were actually in the hunt for a long time. And certainly, you know, injury to Mallory Pugh probably exacerbates that. You know, you talk about confidence, you're losing your marquee player, your marquee attacker, you know, confidence will wane and results maybe go with it. But it, it doesn't seem as bad on the field as you watch it. I mean, that's, right. that's a great point to make that it doesn't look as bad on the field yeah. as maybe an 9 and two record would suggest. I mean, because even in that game that you talk about, North Carolina only won one nil, so it wasn't like they even they didn't take a second half walloping or anything. They won one. Yeah, nil. for sure. And late in the game, and you know, yeah, no, very true. It's uh, so the. I mean, what was what were some of the things that, I mean, your, that struck you during your time at Sky Blue? I mean, and certainly, I mean, you talked about maybe going from youth game slash college game into pro coaching. Uh, I'm sure the learning curve was there, and all you know, all the coaches who listen to this, uh, you know, I'm sure would love to kind of hear what that life was like. Like, what was that life moving into that new level? What you know, many of us would look at and go, well, you've arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, like I said, I, I went into the league to, you know, I was ready to carry water bottles. 
So when I came to the first training session, you know, with, with Jim, who was, um, was very open, like he, I didn't really know him that well, but I think we, that slowly went from, you know, curry and water bottles till I was running a majority of the sessions. So, and I was like, I, I remember that first session sitting in the car outside of the training grounds. And I was like, I was nervous because we had, you know, we had some, uh, national team players on the, you know, uh, some foreign Rapone national was, team players. Rapone was on the team. At the yeah. Cause time. we met Paul Kelly O'Hara, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lisa Nirvana, who was, who was something else <laughs> to work with. Uh, I don't know if it's a, pro you know, appropriate stories, but I would do, we would do, uh, technical, uh, technical training sessions or little stuff that he couldn't really, you know, she has tremendous qualities, physical qualities, but working in tight spaces and, and mm. small patterns or small possession games and, she would lose. She would lose her mind. It was so funny. It was not. I was kind of scared of her, but I would lose. She would lose her mind. Um, but that was that was that was fun. I I learned a ton just from you know. I was we had some of the best players in the world, and um, and there you know I would I would I would love. I think that appreciated for me uh, made me appreciate the women's game even more because they were not like trying to figure out uh, what who is this guy. Uh, this guy is only coaching U12s. No, they were like okay. He seems like he knows what he's talking about he can help us, you know, become better players. And if I would come in on the men's side at that level, which I can help them too, but it would probably be like, ah, oh, this guy, who is he? What has he done? You yeah. know, and in the, women, in the women's game, they were all like, okay, you know, they, and there were so, so many of them were interested in doing extra sessions or extra video or just talking about the game that I, I was very appreciative that they respected my opinion and my training, um, you know, coming from coaching, you know, a lower level. So, yeah, I mean, that, look, that was awesome. That's, I mean, it, it, there's definitely a, a pattern here, I think, because we also had uh, Scott Parkinson on, who's gone from kind of NCAA into the pros as well. Yeah. So I think it's one of those kind of, we've um, had one of the analysts from Seattle in as well, Troy, that willingness to just kind of like uh, the humility. To like, oh, hey, sure. I'll come in. I don't care. I'll carry bottles. I'll do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it doesn't matter what role you're willing to put me in, but I'm willing to kind of just humble myself and work and get in and and go yeah. from there. And I think uh, that definitely gets rewarded in the inclusive nature that is kind of women soccer. I mean, it tends to be a more inclusionary environment than for maybe sure. men's soccer is. Yeah, for sure. For sure, that that feeling of carrying water bottles went quickly away. You know, it took two, two or three days, and the nerves were gone. And I was like, "Okay, I, I got this," you know. But um, it was cool, you know. And then, it was so fun, you know. You were, we were, I went from uh, I was coaching at NJIT at the same time, and we had nobody in the stands, and obviously a lower level of Division One soccer to playing away at Portland in front of twenty thousand people, and <laughs> or we played, we were, we made, made it to the semifinal that year and played in front of you know, 6,000 people and played against Abby Wambach and Carly Lloyd and, you know, uh, had a chance to go to the final. So I think that for me was like, you know, this is nice. This is, this is where you want to be. And this is fun. So. So what was your preparation? Like, so planning a training session for Sky Blue FC, what was, what was your, you know, that week leading up or the days leading up? What did you do to prep that so that people out there, uh, in yeah. podcast land can kind of grasp what, what that means. So the nice part in that year, we had everything was, we had one game a week. 
So <laughs> we went on the model of attacking organization against the next opponent, defensive organization, and set pieces. And then if we had a four training session, it was kind of a, a lighter, some finishing, some, some late last preparations. But, you know, everything went from that, you know, so we're doing yeah. how, how we're going to build and attack against the next opponent, how we're going to defend uh, or press or defend deep, whatever, uh, against the next opponent. And then, you know, set pieces came into play. Sometimes it was a separate session. Sometimes it was combined with that third session of the week. But it was very easy to lay out those weeks. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, I think just from a mental standpoint, it was just independent sessions that were not based on the opponent, was basically just play. It was not obviously oh. based on somewhat on our principles of how we try to play, but it was just let's let's come in and we'll do some some finishing patterns and some possession stuff based on the way we want to play, just to not so much focus on the next opponent. But, you know, I think we had to because there were so many national team players and with the you know the Mexican Canadian and and the yeah. uh, uh, the U.S. Federation, uh, spo- like sponsoring those players, you know we they were gone every other week, so we always we were always busy. Okay, who's going to be available? Uh, what team is going to start? And always preparing that team for the, for the next game. So it it was more week to week and opponent to opponent than anything else. And um, I think that, that yeah that was that was the majority of the of the season to be honest. Yeah, that because those first years were definitely we've had Jenny Ruiz Williams on as well, and she was allocated from the Mexican national right. side. So definitely, like how their pull was back and forth, and how you integrate those players certainly uh, yeah. leads itself to maybe periodizing a little differently when you don't have the team that you're going to play on Saturday with in training on Tuesday necessarily. You know, For people sure. are coming back at the end of weeks, or you're training knowing somebody's going to be gone. For yeah. the game, like those things, those balances probably get a little bit, uh, a little bit convoluted as you, as you go sometimes. For sure. And oh. I, I just remember preseason. You know, I don't think I had met, um, you know, Kelly Harrell is a good example. I don't think I'd met her like till three days before our first game. You know, so all preseason along the U.S. and all this, all this stuff. Yeah. So we didn't meet them till later on. So I'm like, you know, you're preparing all preseason, which was short at that time. It was only like three weeks compared to what it's now. But it was short, and then you're playing. So it's not as bad yeah. as the college season, but it's still not, you know, it's not great. And with the NWSL just starting, we were, we didn't really know what we had, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, those are, I mean, the closer it gets to maybe, you know, what the WSL is, you know, in in England. Yeah. Because it looks like maybe their schedule is going to mirror more of a 10-month over exactly. a long period of time, a yeah. month worth of pre, preseason. Uh, certainly that was an early early season theme was preseason just is a struggle because it's two weeks, maybe three weeks at most, and nobody's right. there. Um, right. And this is a non, you know, we're talking now, this is technically kind of a non-big year for the national teams, right? Like right. there was very little qualifications unless you were in Australia. So like yeah. qualification was happened until later for us, so Canada. So most of your players were in and they still took them for most of the preseason. Exactly. Kind of a, yeah. A hard, uh, a hard to sell play, to, to play China twice, you know, with our, you know, those are, those are the breaks I guess that we get for, uh, for exactly. getting a league, you know, so at least one that looks like is going to stick around and be, you know, able to be here for the players for the foreseeable future, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I just kind of want to finish out on talking to you about kind of what you're doing at Duke and how 
how you plan and prep. Uh, those of you out there who have never seen Irwin and what he does and how uh, how eloquently he plans for the plan, um, you <laughs> should, should check out uh, what he does to kind of really look at how the tactical analysis goes and then implementing that into his team. Uh, and I think there's a video out on Modern Soccer Coach as well from the conference that you did. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, a, I think, a conference in, um, where was that? Maybe in Atlanta or close. Maybe, yeah. where, where, did Gary, where did Gary, oh, Wingate. Wingate. Was it Wingate? Yeah, in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, it was awesome. There were some great people there and uh, it was a really fun event. So, yeah, that's that's out there. That was, you know, that um, I talked for about an hour. I spoke for an hour about, you know, our, our game model for that uh, upcoming year. And then, you know, about a month in that season, that game model went out of the window and we, <laughs> we, cha- we changed that based on uh, one or two injuries. So, uh, but that was, that was awesome. And that video is online and we still do some similar things. And there's obviously a game model in place and there's a, there's a, a set of five principles that we have that we follow and, and, and try to not talk about formations that much, but really follow the, our five key principles of how we want to play. And more so than, you know, I'd love to re Robbie, the head coach myself, we say, you know, we say sometimes, Oh, let's not talk about formations at all, but yeah. that that's hard because yeah. people want, want to want a reference. But uh, I think we're going away from that a little bit. I think the game in general is going away from that, uh, has gone away from that. So, and, and we're trying to catch on and, it's tough because, you know, especially young players that come through the youth ranks and we get them into school, you know, they're, like I said, it's all the same stuff. It's, they've never been used how to defend in anything different than just running around, you know, with all respect and not ever been able to play, you know, any, any youth team, you know, I see it this weekend, any youth team that gets pressed, you know, hits the ball long just because they don't want to lose it. And any team that doesn't get pressed, they don't know what to do because then they there's no patience whatsoever. So we have to kind of train, you know, retrain the minds a little bit uh, from, from what it's like and, and try to um, make them accustomed to the way we want to do things, which is not easy in the short preseason. Yeah. I mean, does it, do you typically do that in the spring then? Is that like, how do you kind of acclimate your freshmen newcomers? Is that like more of a, a I mean, cause you guys, as much as it sounds like maybe there's a major plan, for the development of those players, at the end of the day, I mean, you're Duke women's soccer. There's probably a pretty big uh, results mandate. You know, you're trying to win national titles at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And you know, I hate to say this, but developing players is is happening, but it's happening in in us developing the way we want to win games. Okay. Yeah. So I, I hate you know everybody that says that uh, you know we're developing players and that's our focus is lying because. Nobody's keeping their jobs in college soccer by developing players. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully, you know, I think it comes with it. I think last year we had that class that we graduated six players, uh, really good players. So now we have a whole new class. We're going to need some of those, you know, fairly untrained players that are good players to step in and compete right away at a, you know, at a good level. So, um, hopefully, we can, in two weeks, we can give them a, a fast course of, of Duke women's soccer. <laughs> principles of play but we'll see yeah the uh because you've who you actually had a, a number of draftees graduate out this year yeah give, yeah who give us who uh who, so it was Imani Dorsey who just yeah. signed with Sky Blue and then it was uh, Rebecca Quinn who obviously is at Washington 
mm-hmm. Skylar Debris. I think uh, she's at Washington now. Um, she hasn't signed a contract yet, and not exactly sure what's happening. But um, I, you know, I definitely think she's good enough to, to sign a contract. EJ uh, um, Proctor, uh, who is at uh, Utah Royals, um, and then Aston Miller, who got drafted by Chicago, which. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I think she might be going overseas or staying. I, I don't know exactly what's uh, uh, what's what's going on. But yeah, that was a, obviously a big class. A lot of them started. And, and Morgan Reed is at uh, North yeah. Carolina as a um, she was a national team replacement player at, at one point. So she's in that mix as well, uh, which is obviously a tough team to crack. Uh, that so, would be the hard one. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, it's so a really good class. But um, we lost them all from last year. So hopefully this year we can uh, some of those younger players and. Uh, can step in and play right away and, and compete again. Well, hopefully uh, that's a, a stellar list of players who have gone into the league. And hopefully as the league progresses, maybe uh, we keep knocking on wood, you know, one or two, three, four, five more teams or whatever it is next year. Exactly. Um, those rosters expand and, and some of those players, you know, get permanency in, in the league. But uh, we're sure. looking for all you new Duke players and new wannabe Duke players, uh, those are the shoes that you got to step into. So, exactly. And we appreciate Erwin for taking the time and kind of just walking us through and talking us through all yeah. of that. Uh, you know, definitely check that video out. Find it on Modern Soccer Coach Education. Erwin uh, giving his uh, spiel on how they develop their their principles, so their game model. That it's it's well worth the the listen. So. We appreciate you, Erwin. Thank you so much for, for coming on and talking shop with us. Yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate uh, all you guys do for the game. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at modernsoccercoach.com.